There's a story that I made up, and I'm going to tell you now, about an isolated town where everyone in the town walked with a limp. Everyone in the town. They all had this rare, genetic, but treatable bone disease. It affected their right leg, every one of them, and every one of them walked with a limp. That was how they walked. Because of that, there were no sports. I think they had an Oregon Ducks type team based on. <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm ruining my whole thing right now. No, there were no sports. They were limping around, okay? They're limping around. The kids didn't run and play. Can you imagine kids that can't run and play? It's a sad thing, right? The adults, they couldn't work very effectively because they, they all had a limp. And as a result, the people in the town were very poor. It was a rough time for them. They all had this limp. But these people didn't know that they had a bone disease because they all had it. Everyone had it. And because they all had it, they just assumed that all people limped, that all people, that was the way they walked. They, they were an isolated town, Okay. They did not know that in other places, people walked freely and ran and played and worked and didn't have this problem. They didn't know that. One day, this traveling doctor arrives to this isolated town. No outsider had been in this village for over 100 years, so they had never seen someone who walked without a limp. That was why they thought it was normal. When this doctor met the people, she asked about their limping. What's going on with the limping, says she. At first, they didn't understand what she was talking about, right? What, what is she referring to? Because limping is just walking. That's just the way all of us walk, right? There was nothing odd about it to them. To the people of the town, the doctor was the one that was odd because she didn't limp. They thought she walks funny, right? Because she wasn't limping, and that's all they knew about walking, so they thought she was weird. Who had ever heard of a person walking without a hitch in their step? Thought all of them. The doctor explained that she knew what was going on and that they had a genetic disease and that she knew how to cure it. She knew how to treat it. She told them they could be free from this disease and they could walk without a limp and run and play and work without pain. And some of the people rejected the doctor. She was an outsider, after all, who walked in an abnormal way to them. She didn't understand their ways, and therefore she was wrong. Others, they listened to her. They believed that they were sick and needed a doctor, that they needed healing. They understood it as a problem. So some of the people were treated by the doctor, and they were healed. And others rejected the doctor, and they continued to walk with a limp. Those who were healed, they thanked the doctor and were joyful. Those who refused the doctor continued to proclaim that they did not have a disease, that they were the normal ones, and that the other people had a problem. You see, physicians can treat the sick, but if you refuse to believe you're sick, you will not think you need a physician. It's kind of how it works. Listen to what happened when Jesus Christ met Matthew. We're going to get into the word. By the way, there are Bibles in front of you in these chairs. If you don't have a Bible at home, or you do, but it's broken because you haven't been reading it, that's not, it might be broken. So get a new one if you need to. Um, these are free to you if you need a Bible. We want you to have the word of God in your home. But you can follow along there or up here or on your phone while you're playing Angry Birds or whatever. That's kind of a dated one. Whatever people play these days. Um, and we will get into the Word together. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. So let's head there. There it is. All right. Starting in verse 9, we're going to go through verse 13. This is about Matthew, the tax collector. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew 
sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus meets Matthew. Matthew is a Jewish man whose job it is is to collect taxes for the Roman occupiers. Okay? The Roman occupiers of Israel. He is considered by most Jewish people as a sinner and as a turncoat. He's literally collecting taxes for their enemies. That's who Matthew is. You can probably guess how he was viewed by the folks. The Jewish people did not like tax collectors. We already don't like tax collectors, right? Anybody here work at the IRS? See, you don't want to admit it. No. Maybe. My aunt used to work at the IRS. She's got some good stories if you want to hear about repossessing people's boats because they wouldn't pay their taxes. Anyway, we don't like taxes, generally speaking. Um, They didn't like taxes. They certainly didn't like Matthew the tax collector. But when he meets Jesus Christ, his life changes. And so what does he want to do? Well, he wants to tell his friends about it. Problem is, who are his friends? Well, he's a tax collector and a sinner, so he's an outcast from polite society. So his friends are tax collectors and sinners. That's who his friends are. So he wants to tell them about Jesus. This is the man that I'm following now. This is the son of God. He wants to go do that thing. So Matthew throws this dinner party, right? He invites all his friends. That's where Jesus is sitting at this table. And his friends, they come. All these people who aren't accepted in society, all these people who are seen as sinners, a bunch of tax collectors, a bunch of other sinners. Now, the Pharisees, they did not eat with sinners. They didn't eat with sinners, okay? Uh, It was considered off limits. It was simply not done by a Jewish teacher. It was not done. You did not do this. So Jesus is a Jewish teacher, and he's eating with these tax collectors and these sinners, and this is something that just, you don't do it. You do not do it. But Jesus answers the Pharisees with what we just read, with this. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is what he says to the Pharisees. Those who are well have no need of a physician. This applies to those who are well. It also applies to those who think they are well. Neither group will seek healing. The well and those who think they're well, even when they're not well, neither will seek healing. Then Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, the book of Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Pharisees, man, they were good at sacrifice. They could sacrifice. They had the rules, and then they had the rules about the rules, and the rules about the rules about the rules. And they kept all those, and the, and the clothes were right, and the things, and the, they said the right things, and the people treated them with all this respect, and they did the whole thing. But where was the mercy? Where was the mercy for these sinners and these tax collectors? They needed God, but they were eschewed, right? They were pariahs to society. They didn't have any mercy for them, but they were all about the sacrifice. So Jesus quotes Hosea, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He tells us what he's all about, Jesus does. What is he all about? Why is he here? Why do we celebrate Christmas? Why do we celebrate that he became a human, Emmanuel, God with us? Why do we do that? Because he came to call 
not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came to call us, to call sinners. He didn't come for those who are well. They don't need a physician. He came to call all those who know they need him and his mercy and grace. Those who know they are sinners. Those who know they are not right with God. That's who he came for. Those who know they deserve death and separation from God. Those are the sick. He came to heal through his ministry, through his death, and through his resurrection. He came to heal those people. Those are the ones that have eternal life. The tax collectors and sinners eating with Jesus probably weren't confused about where they stood with God. They could see it in the stairs of the Pharisees, in the stairs of the good people in town. They knew that they were not approved. They knew that God and them were not friends. They knew they were lawbreakers. They knew they were sinners. They knew they had a limp. But the Pharisees, they didn't see their limp as a problem. They didn't think they needed Jesus. They considered themselves righteous. After all, they followed all the rules, even though they neglected the weightier matters of the law. At a different time, Jesus says this to them. This is Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. This is the kind of people. These are the men that were the Pharisees. They're all about, they're going to literally, they're going to their herb garden, okay? Imagine having yourself a little herb garden. And you go and you count out, I've got nine pieces of anise here, and I'm going to take the tenth one and give that. They're, they're that strict so they can probably brag about that. Meanwhile, where's the mercy? Where's the justice? Where's the faith? Not there. Where, where was their faith? In themselves. In their rule following. But when all your friends have a limp, you think it's normal. You think it's normal. The gospel is about the good news to the poor, to the sick, to the oppressed, to the downtrodden, to the weak of the world. That's me. That's me. It's easier for a person who is rejected and despised to see their need for Jesus than a person who thinks they're okay. This is so important to understand. Here's the thing. You can be well or you can believe you're well. In both those cases, as I said, you don't think you need a physician. Well, let me solve the be well part for you with the scripture. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Not all Democrats. Not all Republicans. Not all whatever it is. People fight about all these things. Not all woke or unwoke or people, you know, these are the bad people, these are the good people. All have sinned. All. So there are none who are well. Okay? So if there are some who think they're well, they are wrong. Zero well people. So who did Jesus come for? Everybody. Because we were all sick. All of us. Some of us have Jesus and we've been made well. Others are walking around unwell. And many of them think they are well. This is the problem. All have sinned. Not some. Nope. Everyone. Romans 6.23. This is what we get for it. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, when you go to your job, many of you have jobs. You go to your job, you work, you put in the time, the effort, the muscle, the sweat, the tears, the keyboard tapping, whatever it is you do at your job. 
And at the end of the pay period, you get money. That's what you've earned. Those are your wages. Wages are something you've earned. Sin, when you sin, you earn something too. You earn death. That's the wages. It's literally what you have earned. It didn't happen to you. You earned it. You earned it. Death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a free gift that he's given you. You didn't earn it. That's the whole point. You got it for free by his grace. Because what you had earned was death. No matter if you think that you are good, you are wrong. There are none that are well. It's not unfair. There are people who think it's unfair. I'm not that bad. I'm not, I didn't do anything that I have to go to prison for, which I question when people say it. I'm like, why are you thinking about prison? You know, maybe you did. But that's what they think, right? It's unfair. Hey, you're not smarter than God. God knows what your sin deserves. God knows what the wages are for your sin. He's perfect and holy. He knows. That's the reality. It's not unfair. You know what's unfair? God's mercy. God's grace. God himself paid the ultimate price, so the next part of the passage was true. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what's unfair. That's what you don't deserve that you get. The death part, we deserve that. The unfair part is the grace. That truth that we can be saved costs God more than you can imagine. He became a man and dwelt with us. A man of sorrows, rejected and despised by men. He died a horrible, painful death on the cross, and he rose again. That's why you can receive that free gift that he paid for. He paid your wages of death so you could have everlasting life in him. Now, you've heard this a lot. Hopefully you've heard this a lot in any church you go to, but certainly here. That life in him, it's from the great physician, our healer, our comforter, our helper, our friend. If you don't believe that you need the physician, you don't believe that you need healing, you will not accept it. You'll keep on limping in your body of flesh and never experience the freedom that only comes through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Now, we've been in a series called Foundations. We've been in it for a number of weeks, and Lord willing, this is the last week of this series. We've been looking at a survey done by Ligonier Ministries of people in the United States of America and what they believe, what they believe about a bunch of different stuff. Because as we've talked about, if you don't believe right, you will not have wisdom or understanding. If you have the foundations wrong, everything after that will be wrong. Ask our math teachers. We have a couple math teachers here. We have Julie back there. We have Tiffany back there. They're both back there. They're math teachers, so they're good with a little tech stuff. That's, they're good with that. Ask them what happens if you get the first part of the question wrong. Are you likely to get to the right answer? No. Nope, you got to go back and fix the first part if you want to get the right, right the last part. So if you want to have wisdom, you want to have understanding, you got to start with the right foundations. You have to. What does Scripture say about it? Proverbs 4, 1 through 7. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender, and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Let me explain something to you. 
You will have neither wisdom nor understanding if your foundations are wrong. And there is only one foundation, that's Jesus Christ. And there's only one place where we know what he said, what he commanded, who he is, and that's from the scriptures. If you don't have this in you, the scriptures, the Bible, the word of God, you are not going to be wise and you are not going to be understanding, period. That's why we've been in this series because people have gotten so many of these foundational truths, things that we know from the scripture wrong. And when they get it wrong, it makes the whole thing go bad. Just look around, just look around at our society and ask, are the biblical foundations there? Mm, No. And what's happening? Well, you can see it. What's happened to your friends and your family and your neighbors? That's what happens. Wisdom goes out, right? They suppress the truth on righteousness and they become foolish when they profess to be wise. That's what happens when the foundations are wrong. We're called to wisdom and understanding. We're called to grow, to know God and to revel in the glory of him and the salvation he's given us. That's that's what you're called to do, to enjoy him. That's what he wants. Now, there are only a few options based on the survey results that we've looked at. One, either some people are lying. They really believe the right thing, but they lied about it. That seems unlikely. Or their churches are not teaching the Bible. Or their churches are teaching the Bible and people are rejecting it. They're rejecting the Bible, which is the word of God. Those are the only possibilities with how many questions are answered incorrectly. I don't know which one it is, but we want none of them to be true here. We want none of those things to be true about us. We want to teach the Bible. We want to learn the Bible. We don't want to reject the Bible. It runs up against me just like it runs up against you. The Holy Spirit is chastening me, is teaching me just like he's chastening and teaching you. And we're going to listen to it at Acts Church. I want to walk through some answers to what people said they believe. Now, the way I give out this information, we're only going to look at one of them today, actually. Uh, but the way I give out this information, you can look this up on the internet, by the way, if you want to look up the Ligonier Ministries. It's called State of Theology. You can go through and look at all different categories, different kinds, you know, different people, different ages, what they believe, and so on. If you want to do that, you like statistics, go do that. It's fun. Um, but what I do is they're basically giving true or false questions. And so uh, even though they give five possible answers, which are strongly agree, strongly disagree, somewhat agree, somewhat disagree, or not sure. Um, I only look at the strongly agree or strongly disagree because those are the only possible right answers for these questions. They are not questions where it's like nuanced. There's a correct answer for each one, a true answer to each one from the scripture. And so the numbers I use here are if they got it right. Either they said strongly agree or strongly disagree based on what it is. Here's the first statement for today. Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Okay. That's the, that's the first one for today. Now, Before I get into what uh, Americans said on this, I want to uh, walk through the scripture and see what it says. Just so we can see what the Bible says, let's let's hit it up. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Romans 3.23, we already read it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 through 12. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. 
There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Isaiah 53, 6. All we, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. The idea that people are good by nature is ridiculous. It is unknown in the scriptures. It's unknown in the Bible. We are fallen since Adam. We are born into a sinful world as sinful people. And we do a lot of sin. None of us are good or righteous or deserving of relationship with God. Our God is perfect and holy and glorious. Okay? Anything, anything else is just a limping man saying that he walks just fine. That's, that's what it is. When we say, well, we're, we're basically good. We're pretty good, right? Maybe, maybe there's a little bit of sin, but basically people are naturally good. That's a limping man saying, I walk just fine. It's a lie. It's a lie. It is evil to think that we as broken, sinful people are good by nature. It's an evil thing to think because it's a lie. When we think that, here's what we think next. We don't need a savior. That's what we think next. If we think that we're good by nature, the next thought is, I don't need a savior. I don't need a savior. And then we're like the Pharisees standing there. Why are you with these sinners? And he says, hey, if you're so righteous, I guess I didn't come for you. Which, of course, he did come for them. And some of them were saved. They had to wait, many of them, for his death and resurrection before they bought in. But, of course, the people who think they're well don't think they need a savior, a physician. If people think this, they're just making the same mistake that self-righteous people have always made. Self-righteous people have always made the same mistake. They think sin is something other people do. Not what I do, what they do. Whoever they is in your, in your world. It's them. It's those people. They're the sinners. They're the, look at them. Look how bad they are. And never looking at themselves. And when you think that, you just will not seek Jesus. The good news will not be good news to you. It'll just be news, yeah. I guess. So how do people answer this one? Let's find out. First, we're going to look at what all those surveys says. This includes Christians and unbelievers, okay, everybody. How many of them got the right answer about whether we're basically good or whether we're good by nature? Let's see, the survey says 14% got that right. 86% of people think they're pretty good. Good by nature. Now, you just heard, I just, that was just a smattering. If you go on, online and be like, Bible verses about how bad we are, <laughs> like total depravity or something like that, there's a list as long as my arm, okay? Scripture is very clear about this. 86% of people who surveyed in this, 86% of Americans, according to this survey, think they're pretty good. Now, think about what that means for the gospel message. If you think you're pretty good, you will not understand your need for God's love, mercy, and grace. You don't think you need grace if you don't think you've done anything. You will not need Christ's church for anything more than a pep talk. The best. If you think you're pretty good, you're not coming because you're so joyful that God has saved you. At best, you're coming for a pep talk. Maybe some good music. If the tech works that week. Right? What else would you need the church for if you don't need to change? 
Repentance means to change your mind. Metanoia. It's about turning to Christ, changing the way you think, changing the way you live, changing the way you pray, changing fill in the blank. You're being transformed when you repent. But if you don't think anything needs to change, what's the gospel to you? That's for them. That's for other people, right? Everything changes when you repent. But what if everyone, or 86% of people, think they don't need to repent? We've got a bunch of people limping around thinking limps are pretty cool. Limps are pretty good. Now, we studied some time ago in another series about apathyism. Apathyism. The cultural philosophy of meh. Eh, meh. I don't care. I don't care. It's a philosophy I don't care, right? So you go and you're like, hey, let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. And they go, eh, no, I don't care. But, but you need Jesus. Eh, I'm doing good. I've got money, internet access, water to drink, unless you live in California, you know, all, all that kind of stuff, right? I'm good. Meh. Apathyism. It is, it is, in my opinion, the most pervasive anti-God attitude in our culture. It's not atheism. There's almost no atheist, statistically, okay? There's some agnostics. There's some people who don't really have, they're spiritual, but not religious, you know, that kind of stuff. But meh, that's the one. That's the one. They think they're doing okay. They think they're doing okay. And what leads to apathy about the physician more than a society of people who don't believe they're sick? They think they're well and they're dying. What about Christians? Let's look at their answers in, in, in a second. The answers are broken out into groups, one of which is evangelicals. This is how evangelicals were designated. Okay, I'm reading according to their thing. Evangelicals were defined by Lifeway Research as people who strongly agree with the following four statements. The Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. It is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that can remove the penalty of my sin. Only those who trust in Jesus alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. Respondents can also be identified as evangelical in the state of theology data explorer based on their supplied church affiliation. So they believe those, or they go to churches that teach those and believe those things. Those are good things. They're right about all of those things. That's, that's solid. You're solid if you believe those things. But it doesn't mean that you believe everything correctly. And you may have some foundational issues that make those things not even make sense. Right? So let's see what they said. Evangelicals. Survey says... 28%. 28% got it right. 72% of people who believe all of those things did not strongly disagree with the statement, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. They didn't disagree with that. They didn't strongly disagree with that. It's, that's crazy. They believe all these things as evangelicals, but 72% of them are dead wrong on one of the most important things to understand if you are going to be saved. If you are going to evangelize, what are they telling their friends, their families, and, and, their, and their neighbors? Are they telling them, well, you're pretty good. You're pretty good. Because if they tell them that, their friends, their family, and their neighbors aren't going to think they need Jesus. They are not listening to the word of God. But there's another set of people, which is good. This is evangelicals who attend church once a week. Now, these people should be committed and serious. They should know even more. Let's see how they answer. 32%. They're in church every week. 
and 68% of evangelicals who attend once a week do not fully understand the Bible on this. But you must. I, I, I plead with you. You must understand this. You must understand the need for a Savior. Why do we praise God at Christmas for lowering himself and becoming a man? Why do we do that? Why do we praise him on Resurrection Sunday every year for rising from the dead? Because we need him. We need him. We are lost without him. We're sinners who deserve death. That's why we're here. That's why I'm singing joy to the world. Not because I'm pretty good and Jesus is my homeboy. That's nonsense. We need him. Of course, I'd rather be good. I'd like to hear that I'm doing pretty good in life. The problem is it's a lie. It's a lie. And it keeps people who should be running free, limping in spiritual poverty and spiritual death. Statements on the survey, some more of them, I didn't want to go through all of them. But they show that the beliefs of Americans at large on issues of morality, especially sexual morality, are broken. I mean, real bad. They're broken. Okay? And it's not just that people are living immorally. People have always done that. They don't think it's wrong to live immorally. That's the difference, okay? My mom will tell you, because she's not young. She'll tell you about when she was young. And if you had a person when she was young, which was a while ago, living, say, together with a person they weren't married to, everyone knew it was wrong. The people doing it knew it was wrong. Everyone in society knew it was wrong. There was no question about that, okay? Everybody knew that that was wrong. And so that person would have, they, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm saying they knew that it was wrong, okay? Now, they don't know that it's wrong anymore. The society at large, like two-thirds of society is like, what's the problem? Now, here's the thing. When you're asking a question about whether you're sinful or good, that's just one example. I don't want to pick one thing. There's tons of stuff where people are wrong. People got things wrong on abortion. People get things wrong on homosexuality. People get things wrong, I mean, on the Bible. I mean, so many things that they're, that they're wrong about, right? And I'm not trying to pick on one particular thing. I'm, all I'm saying is that it's one thing to know something's wrong and, and, be, and be dealing with it because you know it's wrong. And so you're, you're fighting with it. You're trying to fix it. You're, it's another thing to be like, it's not wrong. Well, of course, if everything's not wrong, then yeah, I guess we're not sinners. One way to get rid of sin is to just not call it sin. So this is one of the problems, and you have to understand how it works together. You are called to be wise, and part of being wise is understanding, because you have a calling. It's out there on the wall, the Great Commission, right? You are to go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded for lo, He's with us always, even to the end of the age, amen, right? That's your job. If you're going to do a job well, you better strategize. You better think about it. You have to understand that as the culture calls more and more things good that are evil, they're going to less and less see sin for what it is, and they're less and less think they need Jesus. Why did the tax collectors and sinners, why did they come to Jesus? Because they knew. They knew they were sinners. Why did the other ones not? Because they had convinced themselves that their sin was okay. That their limp was normal. This is what's happening. So much so that even in the church, even among evangelicals that go to church once a week, we had whatever it was, 72 whatever percent of them thinking people are basically good. How can you think that? 
and read the scripture. How can you think that and know anyone? I've got two toddlers that live in my house right now. Two toddlers, okay? If you are wondering whether people are sinners, hang out with toddlers, okay? It starts young. I love them to death. Absolutely adore them. But they're little sinners, okay? Just like I was, right? We're sinners. We're sinners. But if we just start saying, well, that's not sin, that's not sin, what are we doing? Suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, professing to be wise and becoming fools. And as that happens, it's not, it has more of a problem than you think. It's more of a problem than you think because it, not only is it the problem that I do this thing, then it's the problem that I do this thing and don't think it's wrong. Then it's the problem that I don't think it's wrong and therefore I don't think I need the gospel. Then your job is two things. One, Convince this person that they need the gospel to tell them the gospel, right? Used to be you just had to tell them the gospel because people knew what was right and wrong. By and large, obviously, they've always made mistakes. There have always been things that people took, limps that people took as normal. But now we're getting to the point where most things are becoming that way. And the things that are uh, moral or considered morally bad, some of those are the things that are actually good. Now they call good bad. They don't just call bad good. They call good bad. So if you take a position on, say, a moral or a biblical issue, and you say, hey, this thing, this is what the Bible says about, let's just take the issue of sexuality. This is what the Bible says about sexuality. If you say what the Bible says, I'm t- just read from the Bible, you are going to be called bad, evil. Okay, that issue is one. There are others. Where if you just said, this is what the Bible says. You are the one who is now bad. They're calling the scripture bad and demonic, satanic nonsense good. They'll cut up your children to make them a a gender that they couldn't possibly know they want to be at nine years old, and they could never be. You can't, that's not how God does things, right? If you can get a rib out of somebody, you can make a woman, I've heard, but I don't know how to do that, okay? That's not how, the God did that, you know, one time. There is no such thing as that. And yet, if you say, I think we should protect children, you are bad for some people. Okay, so now you're getting an idea, right? Good is becoming bad. Bad is becoming good. Then how do you get the gospel? How do you get the gospel? I used to cringe at evangelism techniques that focused on God's wrath and punishment on the reality of sin and judgment and hell. I, I, was, I was like, Ugh, that's not the way to do it. Just go and say, God loves you. God has grace for you. God has the, the thing. And I, that was my thing. I thought that was the better way to go. I really, really did. All through probably the 90s and a lot of the 2000s, I thought this sort of fire and brimstone stuff, that's just not the way to do it. It just, you know, it's awkward. It's off-putting. Yeah, it is. And the real gospel will always be awkward and off-putting. That's the bottom line. I look at the example of what recent evangelism has done in years past, and I go, I don't think we're doing it right. I don't think we're doing it right. This is why Paul talked to Felix the way he did. Acts 24, 24 through 25. And after some days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul. Paul is is imprisoned at this point before he goes to Rome. Uh, he He sent for... Uh, Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, 
What does Paul talk about in the faith in Christ? Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. There ain't a convenient time for the gospel. That convenient time is right now. He's afraid. Yeah, he was because he was in a culture, a culture that we're sort of sliding back into, that first century culture, where bad is good and good is bad. Self-control is not a virtue, except among some Stoic philosophers, right? And the judgment to come scared him. It scared him. And it should scare anyone who's not in Christ because it's real. Jesus is coming back. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to believe the gospel. Our culture doesn't want to hear it any more than Felix did. I don't care. They have to hear it. I had to hear it. If I hadn't heard it, I'd be lost. They have to hear it. They want to look at other people and call them sinners and look at themselves and call themselves good. That's what they want. Who doesn't? But it's not a reality. The Pharisees were wrong in their legalism. They needed Jesus just like the sinners and tax collectors, but they were too caught up in their own selves to see it. The people that went to Christ, they were sinners. The people that Christ went to were sinners who knew they were sinners and welcomed him because they needed his grace. They needed his mercy. They needed someone who loved them. That's where you start. Some people will reject you, but you know who won't? You know, you know what I was, one of the interesting things, go to prison and see how many people will get saved. It's not a lot left to think you're doing okay when you're in prison. Surprising how people get saved in prison. Look at when people go through a divorce or go through something really difficult. Oftentimes, there's an openness to the gospel. There's a moment there when they realize that they are not perfect, they can't do it themselves, and that their, their decisions actually do have consequences. And what the world's telling them about, follow your heart and do whatever, actually is not working. It's not bringing joy. It's not bringing happiness. And they have an opportunity for the gospel because they're, they're in a moment of clarity. Now, as quickly as they can, most people will get themselves the heck out of that moment of clarity because it's uncomfortable. And it means submitting to Jesus as Lord. They don't want to do that. They don't want to believe in him because he requires things of them. If you don't understand sin, you don't understand grace. It's that simple. And then what does the resurrection matter? Right? You see these progressive Christians, they don't care about the resurrection. To them, the resurrection, if they do, they don't care about it for the reason you do. They already think they're good. There are progressive Christians, and remember, that's not a political term. That's a term about how their theology works. There are progressive Christians who are trying to convince you that the real sin is in believing that you're not already perfect, that you're not already good. How, how demonic is that? That's evil. That's evil. But what's left for the church to do if no one needs Jesus because we're all pretty good? No one needs Jesus to save them from their sin. Well, I'll tell you what you will see. And surprise, surprise, we do see it. What are you going to see? Prosperity preaching. I don't need salvation. What do I need? Money, money, money. Right? I'm going to sing the whole thing. No. Right? If you don't need Jesus for salvation, then he's just a genie. Rub the lamp. Say your prayer by the prayer cloth. And here we go. New car for you and for you. Right? 
if you, if you don't need Jesus to save you, if that's not the primary thing that's happening, then you'll find something else. The progressive Christians. It's like an interesting coffee club, right? You don't really need Jesus. So now we're just talking about how we can kind of all be like get together, man, and be good, which I'm all for getting together and being good. I want to be good. I want to love each other. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is you're a sinner and need a savior. It's the good news that even though we rejected him, he's willing to save us. Where is our humility before God? It's not there anymore, guys. If it was there at a time, great. It's not there anymore. As a culture, we are not humble before God. We're asking, what can you do for me? We're saying it's unfair when God explains to us how wicked we are. Unfair? Unfair that he died for you, that he paid everything for you? No. No. It's your, your, the unfairness is in that you get something you don't deserve. Not in that you do get what you do deserve if you won't accept him. The gospel is good news. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even in our true state of brokenness, having earned the wages of death, we read this, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You need Jesus. Let me just explain something to you. You don't need Jesus to be rich. You don't need Jesus for pep talks. You don't need Jesus because it's culturally cool, which in this part of the country it's not, but in some parts of the country it still is kind of the thing to do to be part of the first Baptist church or the first whatever, you know, whatever it happens to be in your community. There's a time and a place where that was very prominent. In the South, you didn't go mow your lawn on a Sunday till afternoon, okay? Because you don't want people to know you want a church. Now that's not a big thing. I, I call Sunday here in the Northwest second Saturday. It's just, there's just two Saturdays. What's the difference in the traffic on the streets on Sunday morning or Saturday morning? Not much. Negligible, right? But that's not what it's about. It's not about what Jesus can do for you in your life. And I read this stuff and, you know, scrolling. I shouldn't be on social media. It's a disaster. But you're on there and you see the Christian ones. They're like, you're going to have the breakthrough today. I've even seen ones like, your count's going to go to millions. I'm like, you don't know me. And that's a long way from where my count is. So I don't know how I was going to get there. Uh, but unless I'm going to be robbing some bank, then going to millions. Okay. But that's the thing. They're like, He's coming through for you. You're going to have a breakthrough. This is, everything's good. Your life's going to be great. Your kids are going to be great. No, that's nonsense. You live in a fallen world and you're a fallen person. Here's what I can promise you. If you'll accept Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. You'll have eternal life. We're here for a second. I know it seems like a long time sometimes, particularly when I'm preaching, but, but it's not a long time. You're going to be with Jesus forever. You might want to use this time, this time, to be building up for yourselves gold, silver, and precious stones instead of wood, hay, and stubble. Do you want to go before Jesus as you recognize the fullness, right? We see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, you recognize the fullness of what he did on the cross for you and how much you needed it. Because I don't think we can stand under the weight of God actually showing us the seriousness of our sin. I don't think we can do that while we're here. But there, we're going to see face to face and we're going to see all that it is. And we're going to fall down on our face before him. And do you want to have to tell him? I was telling people they were basically good. No. You want to tell them that you just spoke the truth to those who needed Jesus, whatever the consequences. Because you're called to preach the gospel in every way, all day. Okay? That's your call. God put me 
on my face, on the floor, showing me my wickedness and then showing me his grace and salvation. And from that moment forward, I have never been the same. And I never will be, God willing, because he's so good. He's so good. But I had to understand the state of my own wicked heart before I could understand the massive grace of God. We have got to fix this. In the ch- I, look, the world is the world. But in the church, we've got to fix this idea. Yeah, everyone sins a little. But we're basically good by nature. That is such a rotten foundation. And it will make the house of the gospel crumble. Now, the gospel will never crumble because it's, it's his. The word of God will never return void because it's his. But we have a responsibility to have our foundations correct. Romans 10, 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It was not free. It cost our Lord his life. He loves you. He loves your family and your friends and your neighbors. And those people, according to this, a lot of them don't believe they're limping. They think they're fine. They're apathetic. They're distracted. Your calling is to preach the gospel to them. Your job is to talk about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come so they know they need Jesus. Yeah, they're going to get scared a little bit. They may tell you, come back at a convenient time. They're going to tell you, come back at a convenient time, but it's never going to be a convenient time, so just come back. Say, is it convenient now? Well, let's do it anyway. You need Jesus because you are a sinner. If you can't get that across, you will not be effective. And so you've got to ask in your interactions for the Holy Spirit to reveal to people their sinfulness and their need for him. And you have to continue to be honest and forthright about our own wickedness and our need for Jesus and their wickedness and their need for him. Because this lie about basic goodness of people, this will make the gospel unwilling to be heard. And they have to hear it because it's their eternity. It's their eternity. Don't walk out of this place. Don't finish this video online and go back to the view that the world has. They are crippled, and they need to know they're crippled. They are limping around in death, spiritual death. But if they know they're crippled, they'll look for a physician, Jesus Christ the righteous, Jesus Christ who came to this world for them, as he tells us in the scripture, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that we would know this truth. I know sometimes it's like, oh, the gospel again. It's good, but you got anything new? Lord, you know your servant Martin Luther preached the gospel every week, and when people asked him, why do you keep preaching the gospel? Can you preach something new? He said, I'll stop preaching it when you get it. God, I pray that we would get it. I pray that we would get it. Lord, I pray for these people in this country who have come to believe a lie a lie about who we are, a lie that we don't need you because we're basically good. Like the church of the Laodiceans thought, hey, we're good, we're wealthy, we're comfortable. But they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I pray that we would see our limp for what it is as a society and that we would look to you. I pray that once again, Lord, we would have revival in this country, all over the world, as people see their need for you and see the brokenness and the bankruptcy 
of the morals that we have built up, of calling good bad and bad good. Lord, you hate that. I know that. We love your law, Lord. Let it be like honey on our lips. Let us eat it up. The word of God, let us know you more. God, we thank you. I thank you for these people online and here in person that love you, that want to know you. Lord, I pray you would give us just empower us with your Holy Spirit to preach the gospel, to make disciples. And Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, I pray they'd come to know you today. If there's anybody online that doesn't know you, I pray they'd come to know you today. God, there is no convenient time. The convenient time is now to know we're sinners and that we need you as Savior. We pray that we would see many come to know you, many baptized, many discipled, and taught all that you have commanded because you have promised to be with us always, even to the end of the age. Amen and amen.